praise be to God that in His kindness to us, He's kept us alive, given us more days on this earth to serve Him, and that He has brought us together again on the Lord's day to worship Him. And here we are at the time for the preaching of God's Word. Let's stand together, and I will read from Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 35. You'll see there the verses of focus today, verses 9 through 11. Please listen carefully, because this is God's holy and infallible Word. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Now behold, Two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up at that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they, to- and they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Amen, amen. Please be seated. So let's look back a little bit to last week before we move ahead. Please recall from last Sunday in our study of verse 8, that simple sentence, And they remembered his words. Note how these women transitioned from perplexity and disbelief into understanding and joy and obedience. They had forgotten the word of Christ. So this placed them in confusion and fear. But then they remembered. They remembered the word of Christ. And this remembering was when their knowledge was mixed with faith. And they stepped into light, to comprehension, to rejoicing, and obedience. Because the truth of God's word, the Holy Spirit brought into that moment and informed them of reality. This word remember is to be mindful of, to be recalled It is an action that we are called to over and over again in Scripture. We forget what we hear from God. Brothers and sisters, even those who have faith, we forget what we hear from God. Hence, we must build our lives on remembering His Word day in and day out. We need to hear the Word of Christ every day because we forget every day and seems to me if I forget only once, then it was a really good day that day. So what, have you ever asked yourself this question, have I built a remembering life? Is, is God's word such that I'm building a remembering life? We hear other phrases for this. Uh, husbands are to wash their wives in the word. And of course, as the husband is speaking the word of God in the home, This is a remembering type of life. And as I said last week, it's helpful because I think we can sometimes get into study of the Word and think that it's been an unfruitful time unless we've learned something new. That is a failure that has its roots in scholasticism. Most of what we need to be faithful Christians, we already know. We do need new knowledge. We do learn new things. We do have to have our way of thinking corrected. That is a part of the Christian life. But it can become to us an idol 
thinking that learning new things is the secret to being a good Christian. See, the secret to being a good Christian is believing what we already know. And that's the faith that God gives to us. It should bring us great encouragement to know this, to know that as we read God's word and we look to him, he will give us faith and we will grow in our knowledge and in our understanding and in our experience of reality, stepping more and more out of the darkness of fantasy that we all create for ourselves. Matthew Henry said about this, the women seemed to acquiesce. They remembered his words when they were thus put in mind of them and thence concluded that if he was risen, it was not more than they had reason to expect. It's kind of that kind of moment. And you go, oh, right. I, I actually memorized that scripture. And then suddenly you see life through that scripture. Going on with Matthew Henry. And now they were ashamed of the preparations they had made to embalm on the third day him who had often said that he would on the third day rise again. Matthew Henry says, Note, a seasonable remembrance of the words of Christ will help us to a right understanding of his providence. See, there was enough knowledge that Christ had given to his disciples that real faith would have shown up on the third day not with spices to embalm a dead body, but with preparation to embrace the living Christ. That's what, that's what faith, full faith, would have looked like on that day. And there was nobody there except for the angels who had that kind of faith. If we can even call it faith for the angels. So as we look at today's text, we're going to see another example of unbelieving skepticism in action. We're going to see through these disciples another process that God takes Christians through. They have this much faith. They need more faith. And there's this time frame when they're going through the transition where life is a blur. Life is dark confusion to them. And they need God's word and they need the Holy Spirit to mix faith with the word. And then they'll say, like what we hear later in this chapter, he is risen indeed. So God takes us all through these processes, these transformations to increase our faith the greatest gift that we can have in this life. So this repetitive pattern of post-resurrection unbelief and perplexity really stands out in Luke's gospel. There's a pattern here that he gives to us, clearly proving by demonstration that we fallen humans are forgetful creatures. We're very forgetful creatures. And if left to ourselves, our forgetfulness and uncertainties will then begin to redefine reality And we will successfully spiral off into all the destructive fruits of unbelief. This self-deception will have its way with us. And we will create a fantasy world and insist others join us in it. So if the disciples failed to believe, surely won't we also fail like them? And the answer is yes. We will all go through these times where we fail and God is still faithful. And he increases our faith through the experience that he takes us through. What is our only hope? How can we have hope when we bump into these dark moments? How can we learn from these confused women at the empty tomb? How can we learn from the unbelieving disciples who actually mock 
the resurrection upon first hearing of it from the women, calling it idle tales. The resurrection of Jesus Christ upon which all of our hope is pinned. The disciples call it nonsense. The ultimate fantasy. And they mock the women because the women don't believe in their fantasy. So we we walk by faith, not by sight. That is the answer to the question. Our only hope is more faith. We have to long and cry out to God for more faith. And when we're going through these situations, to have enough orientation to understand that we're disoriented and that we need more faith. So we walk by faith, not by sight. That's what 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us. It should be a Christian mantra, if you will, if I can use that phrase. We walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith not by sight. You want to memorize the scripture? Take that little one and and write a hundred songs to it. First Peter, Peter knew about this. He he had a a lot of experience with this. And he talks about the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 8 he says, Whom having not seen, you love. And it's so precious to him, I'm sure, isn't it, to see the fruitfulness of his ministry after he was one of these ones who ran away and becomes the example to us of fear in these times. Whom having not seen, you love. And so we can, we can be like those people that Peter's describing. Having not seen him, we love him. And so it's more faith. Last week we talked about more faith. This week we're going to talk about more faith. The title of the sermon is When Faith Meets Unbelief. So there's a clash that takes place. And we'll see that. First, we'll see these women expressing their faith in evangelism in verse 9. And then we see the scriptures honoring these evangelists in verse 10. And then verse 11, we see what happens when faith and unbelief collide. And then, as usual, a few questions to know and to love and to obey God. So verse 9 tells us, Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. So what is the first action that Luke reports by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit regarding these women? They returned and told everyone about the empty tomb and the angelic message of resurrection. So note a couple of things here. Faith in Christ's resurrection caused these women to do two things that are noted for us. They returned to these disciples and they told them all the things that had occurred at the tomb. So first of all, let's consider this idea of returning to the disciples. Let's remember the recent history of the disciples together. What had they done? And contrast it as you're hearing it in your mind with what these women had done. The disciples had separated from Christ at the time of his Gethsemane arrest. And we've talked about that before. It appears as though the act of faith would have been to stand with him. Where he goes, I go. None did. Next, the disciples had fled away from him. Except for Peter and John. But even Peter, we see Peter in his denial of the Lord. 
They were absent at his crucifixion, except for John. The disciples get no mention. They were all unmentioned at his burial, and they were all unmentioned in terms of going to the tomb early with the women. It appears as though they had no plans to go to the tomb. It appears as though their going to the tomb was a response of what they heard to, to what they heard from the women. And if you think about it, the disciples don't even meet the criteria that they themselves lay out in Acts chapter 1 for being an apostle. Here's what it says. When they're trying to figure out who to re- with whom to replace Judas. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied, accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us. One of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they, they missed, they missed the crucifixion, most of them. They, they didn't go to the tomb. They, they saw the risen Christ, but they weren't there to discover an empty tomb. And so when they say a witness with us, I imagine, I don't know, maybe some of these gracious women overheard this. I'm like, well, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> they saw the resurrected Christ, so they were indeed witnesses of the resurrection, but they missed almost everything else that we must believe in in order to be saved. And it is to this group that the women returned. Would you consider the disciples good Christians at this point? I think they would describe themselves as lacking faith, not being good examples at this time. And how did these women treat these men? I want us to note the faithful do not give up on those with less faith. And do you know that you have more faith than others in some ways? And that very same person may have more faith than you in some ways. So our faith is, if you will, imagine it as a thing of shape. uh, And it grows, God grows it in these areas. And maybe some of these areas it hasn't grown very much. And as we go through life, we discover that others have more or less faith than we do. How do we respond in that situation? Romans 14, 1. Receive one who is weak. In faith. Weak in the faith. So that's what these women are demonstrating when they go back in their joy and their zeal for the resurrected Lord. How excited they are because they believe it. And the Westminster Confession of Faith puts it this way in the chapter on faith, chapter 14. This faith is different in degrees. Weak or strong. Maybe often and many ways assailed and weakened, but gets the victory, growing up in many to the attainment of a full assurance through Christ, who is both the author and the finisher of our faith. So faith can grow. Your faith can grow. It can increase so that the things that you hear, God by His Spirit causes you to believe and to have faith in these truths. And it says growing up even to a full assurance through Christ. The ultimate attainment of faith is 
full assurance of our salvation in Christ. It's available to all of us. And when you are weak in faith, and you are, so am I, we have those around us, and we are placed there as weak in faith to help them grow in faith as well. So we share this together with one another, and we all grow in faith together. And, of course, if you're strong in faith, then you need to watch out for yourself. Uh, There's a, a great temptation for failure and for your faith to fail because of pride. Next, I hope we will note in this situation that faithful women, the ladies, listen up, faithful women are often used of God to fan the flames of faith in the men around them by their faith, by their words, and by their deeds of love toward God and others. So ask yourselves, young ladies, wives, is this the kind of woman that you want to be? That through your words and your actions and your deeds of love, you call forth more faith from your husband, from your dad, from your brothers. So we see that happening here where these women are used as an example to these men whose faith was failing them. Next, I want us to see that these women did not divide from the disciples. I hope you can see how a fleshly response to this situation could have easily given that kind of thought and motive to them. A fleshly, a prideful, a spiteful response could have arisen from the women toward the cowardly disciples who had not taken any risks. You know, these are the women whom the Roman soldiers and the Jewish leaders would remember their faces and identify them with Jesus. Not these men. They might somehow be able to remain more in anonymity. They had loved their own necks above Christ while these women were risking their necks. Yet there's no evidence these women harbored or expressed bitterness towards the men who gave way to fear. Not even after these same cowardly men mocked their joyful resurrection and proclamation. Maybe they did, but it's certainly not recorded in Scripture that I've seen. So, we have a lot to learn from these women, don't we? And we see that their faith was not perfect. That that if they'd had fullest faith, they would have shown up to embrace the living Jesus. But they had more faith. And their faith quickly grew. And they expressed it through their loving actions of reporting to the disciples, He is alive. The greatest truth that has ever been declared. The greatest event that has ever occurred. They went and they shared it. What an act of love. So they went to the disciples. They didn't divide from the disciples. They didn't look down on the disciples. They loved the disciples. So that's an example of their faith. Next, they told the disciples all the things that occurred at the empty tomb. It's worth noting that. They told the whole story. They held nothing back, the text tells us, including their own lack of faith, their own perplexity, and their fear at the angel's presence. It appears as though even their own process that they went through of not having faith to gaining faith was a part of what they described. 
They told of the empty tomb, and they told of the words of the angels, quoting Christ. Do not seek. Why are you seeking the living amongst the dead? They told them all of it. Are you ever tempted to hold back when you share the gospel? I think that's a a legitimate question for this text. You get to talking to somebody, and you see the skepticism in their eyes. You see the, the blinders are there. I imagine they probably saw the skepticism on the faces of these disciples who mocked them before the mocking words came out of their mouths. But they didn't stop. They told the whole story. And so they knew it would sound like nonsense to the, to the disciples. They knew it would. And they told them out of their joy and their gladness. And even as the skepticism began to come forth on their faces, they didn't try to soften the edges. Angels, two angels, yes, spoke to us. Two angels spoke to us. The tomb was empty. He's not there. And they said, why do you seek the living amongst the dead? That's what they said to us. And we were very scared and confused. And then he reminded us of what Jesus had already said. Jesus already told us this. They didn't let, they didn't let up. They, go, they gave the whole story. So, when, when we're filled with joy and the gospel grips our souls, that's what's happened to these women. These women have just entered into salvation in its fullness. Understanding resurrection is very real. And their joy is just coming out of their mouth. And so that's what evangelism is. It's the joy of the gospel opening our mouths for Christ and declaring who he is, what he has done, and what what occurred through his death and his burial and his resurrection and his ascension. We tell the whole story. And, And when we do it, this is a really important point. We don't do it with a need to persuade. That's not evangelism. And we, or we do, or we're commanded to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in us. But when we're evangelizing, we don't need for this other person to believe what we say. That's not why we're there. We're there first and foremost because the God of heaven has taken control of our souls by his presence and the gladness of salvation flows out of us to those around. And we delight when others believe. But if God told you that no one will ever believe the gospel when it comes out of your lips, would you still share it? Because see, who are we ultimately sharing with? God himself. We are expressing our faith in him through opening our mouths and sharing the joy of resurrection deliverance from sin, of eternal life, of a conquering Savior, of the destruction of wickedness, of the expansion of the kingdom of God over all the earth, and that all shall be made right by our great King. Without exception, He is the victor. And you know, part of sharing the gospel can be sharing your own trek from unbelief to faith. It's it's a personal thing. When we share the gospel. Now the objective facts. That's the gospel. But how the gospel impacted you. Is, is in, in essence how you're witnessing. 
what God has done in you as a result of you believing these historical truths that you are sharing? Do you humble yourself and acknowledge your own problems believing the gospel? Do you recount God's faithfulness to give you faith? See, we can share the gospel pridefully. Share the message and say, well, of course I believed. Who wouldn't believe that? I mean, I believed. You should too. But that's not. That's not the gospel. That actually undermines it. Because if you're honest, you will all see that you've had doubts. You've had times where your faith was not what it needed to be. Whether as a Christian or coming to Christ, becoming a Christian. These are very real things. This is very meaningful in the, the humane experience of the gospel together. That every single human being goes through this transition. It's different. What was yours like? Or maybe some piece of truth that you had to embrace and something that you didn't believe before. A change. Or something you already believed, but when it came right down to it in real life, you found out you didn't really believe it. You can, you can share this with people, and it's very encouraging. It's honest. Here's the story of how I transitioned from fantasy to reality in this particular area of my life. And it was hard, and it hurt, and it was terrifying. But you know what? Praise be to God for reality and for being delivered from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So these women are honored in verse 10, and that's so important for us to pause and notice this. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. So notice that Luke saves the list of honor for after these women have faithfully demonstrated their faith through their evangelism. He could have put their names any time in the story that he wanted to. It was after they demonstrated their faith that he put their names. Showing to us, I think, one lesson is that intentions, good intentions, are much less important than the actions that come from them. Good intentions are good. But notice that the praise, the honor for these women by name came after they acted, after they expressed their faith. Now, note this carefully as well. Did these women appear to care what the forces of evil thought of them? Like at all? I don't see any sign of fear. It probably was. So when we care not what the evil forces think of our public acts of faithfulness to God, and we just walk on in faithfulness, the Lord takes note, brothers and sisters. And it should be a comfort to you. The Lord takes note. He cares much that you care little what the world thinks of you. He delights He delights in his faithful ones who do not give way to the empty threats of vanishing darkness. That's all that's that's around us. We've got all things going on in our world today and they think they hold the power. They are the ones who are in trouble. They are the ones who are in trouble. They hold nothing but empty, vanishing threats. 
Might God bring suffering into the lives of Christians through this? Yes, indeed. God's response. He is in heaven. He has set his king on his holy hill. And he laughs in derision at all those who set themselves against him and against his kingdom and against his people. And there's a sense that these women understand this. They know, perhaps I'll be killed like Jesus was. But they know that's not the last word. They know that that which is most important cannot be taken from them. R.C. Sproul, it is significant, I think, that the first witnesses of the resurrection were the women who had stood by him when the men fled out of fear. There is a sense in which their loyalty and devotion to Christ was uniquely honored by their being the first to get the message of the resurrection. So, let this be an encouragement to your soul that the faithfulness that God calls you to in the midst of a world that hates God's truth, the Lord sees. The Lord sees. The Lord sees. And these women knew this. They must have understood the truths of God's word regarding the wicked, regarding God's faithfulness to his courageous saints. We're going to read about it. Psalm 37. Rejoice as you hear God's word. Rejoice as you hear God's word and you think of the world in which we live today. Put on truth. Dispel any fantasy that these liars want you to believe. And recall who's in charge. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy, to slay those who are of upright conduct. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many For the arms of the wicked shall be broken. But the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the upright. And their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time. And in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish. And the enemies of the Lord like the splendor of the meadows shall vanish. Into smoke they shall vanish away. 
The wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And the Lord delights in his way. So these women, they demonstrate this to us, don't they? And they're like filled up with this knowledge, it seems. And it's pretty contagious because it looks like the disciples get it. The Lord uses their witness to help bring the disciples along. Courage is contagious. That's why the devil's on the run. These are lies. This smoke screen that's being put up by the media and by whatever else you want to read, it's all lies. The devil is on the run. The forces of darkness are being placed under Christ's feet. And they shall be cut off from the earth and put back into the shaft of hell. And we shall dwell forever in the land. This is the truth. And these women knew this. And these these men came to get it too. And then they began to display this kind of courage in their lives. Rejoicing that they got to suffer for the name. Well, we have to remember who these guys were. Like they were hiding in a closet somewhere. And then a little bit later, rejoicing to suffer. So there's always going to be this clash between faith and unbelief. And that's what happens here. Their words seemed to them like idle tales and they did not believe them. So face to face with Jesus for years, hearing it all, seeing him raise the dead, (laughs) seeing him walk on water, seeing him speak to a storm and make it calm before that fast, talking to a tree and make it, I mean, they saw these things. Every disease healed, every demon cast out. They saw it with their own eyes. So this should bring us great comfort, right? Because we who have not seen and yet believe, how blessed it is for us. So the disciples are really kind of at their lowest point here. This is like the lowest point for them. They're in total disarray. Matthew Henry in his commentary, which I didn't quote, he talks about his belief that they're not even in the same place. That they're kind of scattered. The women have to go and find them in various places, which, if true, emphasizes again these faithful women. You know, they, they understood that the disciples were in this deep darkness and they had to go get the light of the truth to them. So the disciples are just filled, overcome, surrounded with this thick darkness of unbelief. And when the light first comes, it just bounces off. they just like, you're crazy. Can you just see the looks on their faces? Like, oh, these women. <laughs> wonder if they soaked up some of the spices into their bloodstream or something. What is going on with these women? They're crazy. Matthew Henry says, they thought it was only the fancy of the women and imputed it to the power of imagination. For they also had forgotten Christ's words and wanted to be put in mind of them. Not only what he had said to them in Galilee some time ago, but what he had said very lately in the night wherein he was betrayed. Again a little while, and ye shall see me. I will see you again. One cannot but be amazed at the stupidity of these disciples. This is Matthew Henry, it's not me. <laughs> who, who, amazed at the stupidity of these disciples who had themselves so often professed that they believed Christ to be the Son of God and the true Messiah, had been so often told that he must die and rise again and then enter into his glory 
had seen him more than once raise the dead, that they should be so backward to believe in his raising himself. Surely it would seem the less strange to them when hereafter this complaint would justly be taken up by them. To remember that there was a time when it might justly have been taken up against them. Who hath believed our report? So, these poor disciples, um, the cautionary tale here, um, showing us it doesn't matter what you've seen, what you've touched, what you've tasted, what you've heard. If you don't have faith, you won't even believe what you've seen and heard. We, we must have faith from God. And it's just this demonstration to us that these disciples didn't have faith. And that's what was going wrong with them. So they were the first persecutors that are reported in Scripture. Let that sink in. The disciples were the first persecutors of the first evangelists. And this is really the only possible response of the flesh. Kind of getting into a little bit of Reformed theology, right? Total depravity or radical corruption that apart from faith, we will never believe. I mean, what I mean to say to you is the living Christ Himself could show up in person right here, right now, and talk to you and raise the dead and cast out demons and walk on water right here in front of your eyes. And if you don't have faith, you would not believe in Him. So, if we don't have faith, we will live in fantasy. It is self-deception unto delusion. It is literally creating a self-created fantasy world. That's what we do. Self-deception. Bach puts it this way. The women's account does not gain immediate acceptance. In fact, Luke uses a unique word here, and it means nonsense or idle talk. And it's a term used in medical settings of the delirious talk of the very sick. That's what the disciples say about these women. Isn't that ironic? (laughs) Because the very words coming out of their mouth (laughs) are the delirious talk of the very sick. The apostles were not looking for any reversal of the tragic situation. Their dreams about God's kingdom have been shattered. They're in the darkness and the dust, and they've gone down low. And the women's story looks like an absurd effort to challenge reality. Apparently, no one believes the women, except perhaps Peter, that we see in the next section we'll look at next week. So, you see the inversion here. The self-deceived are so sure, the iron bars of their self-deception are so powerful that they believe it is absolutely true. Therefore, anyone who doesn't believe it, they're the ones who are deluded. They're the ones who live in fantasy. So I hope you will see about your own flesh, my flesh, the flesh of all fallen human beings apart from Christ. We will create a non-reality, a fantasy world, and we will then demand others accept it as reality with us. And we do this to one another. At the spot where your faith doesn't match the process, the situation God is taking you through, you will develop, without faith, a fantasy to explain that, to provide yourself the comfort or the outcome that you want. That's what we do. And so faith is very serious repentance when it comes. Because we go, oh, 
Oh, I really thought this was true. Oh, but it's not. Oh, oh, look what I did. Oh, look what I said. And then you go and you make amends. You go and you talk and you live in reality. So in other words, repentance is not like a little thing. It's a big thing. It's living in a whole new world is what it is. You see, the disciples not only disbelieve, but they go on to openly mock reality and its messengers. Psalm 2 talks about it as casting, tearing off the cords and casting them out of their sight. But the guy who jumps off the building to protest gravity, what is his outcome? <laughs> he gets introduced to reality at the very end, doesn't he? And he can believe in non-gravity world all the way down until everybody with him as he's going, and it doesn't change a thing. So these disciples were, you know, they were in the free fall of the nonsense themselves. And I just want to say again, it's just, it's just such a beautiful thing that it appears as though the women just loved them. That they just loved them. That they just, I don't know what they said or did, but they just loved them. You know, they didn't, it doesn't appear as though, they just received them. They just received the disciples, it appears. Because they're still together as time goes on. So, I want us to note that evangelists of the gospel need to remember these disciples' lack of faith at first hearing. At first hearing. Okay? And 1 Corinthians 2.14 defines for us the reality of evangelism and the, the clash of faith with unbelief. And, you know, it's not just evangelism. It's also discipleship. <clears throat> the, mat- the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. You hear that word foolishness, idle talk, nonsense? Same idea. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So as we're sharing the truth of God's word, seeking to accurately present the gospel, present the word of God, whether it's in evangelism or discipleship or counseling, if we're seeking to present the truth of God, we have to know that the outcome is in God's hands. The outcome is in God's hands. Yes, we are called to speak accurately, articulately, lovingly, compassionately in the context of being present and, and in the context of love. <clears throat> Did Jesus have any leadership flaws? Big fat no, right? <laughs> he had no flaws. Did all of his disciples believe? Somebody say it. No. And did Judas not believe because of a leadership flaw in Jesus? No. Judas didn't believe because he didn't have faith. Judas was appointed for destruction. And part of that lesson is that no one can be saved without faith from God even if you spend time with Jesus Christ on the earth, walking with him all those years. You see that lesson? 
And so there's a, there's a bit of that lesson here with the disciples for this brief time. And it appears as though these women understood this. It appears as though they didn't, they didn't get frustrated and give up on it. All right, fine. Look, you weren't at the cross. You weren't at the burial. <laughs> you know, he ran away. Okay, look, you know what? And now you don't believe me when I tell you I just talked to two angels. I'm done with you. It does not appear that's what they did. It appears as though they had the patience of wisdom to understand that it's God's timing. It's God's timing. Now, we need to turn this around as well and know that this is true for ourselves. In other words, you can't make yourself grow any faster than God is growing you. Hope you understand that. Right? You can choose to resist the Lord. You can retard things. You can push back. But when God chooses to accelerate a saint's sanctification, you just better get out of the way. Because the Lord, He moves mightily in people's lives when He's doing these types of things. So I hope this will bring some comfort to you in your own self-counseling. You know, why why so downcast? Oh, my soul, put your hope in God, put your hope in God. When you preach to yourself, you may not immediately have oceans of hope, but you do like the women and you keep preaching and loving. You keep demonstrating faith in the truth. And you do the same with others. We trust in God. So there's this patience here that bears with one another as God is working in us according to His timing. Now, next, evangelists of the gospel also need to remember that these disciples eventually believed. They eventually believed. So keep preaching the gospel to all who will hear it. Keep preaching the gospel to all who will hear it. We probably all have friends or family members that we've known for years who are not believers. And when, you know, when we talk with them, if they're willing to talk with us, you know, it, it eventually needs to transition from the superficial through the meaningful to the spiritual. And if they'll go through all three of those phases with us in conversation, then we present the gospel to them over and over and over. How many times did you hear the gospel before you believed? I mean, I grew up in the church, going to church, a Bible-believing church. I don't even know how many times I heard the gospel. It was all gobbledygook nonsense to me until faith came. So I'm just really thankful to those people who kept preaching the gospel to me. So there's a lesson there. From whence comes faith? God gives faith to his elect. And this is a foundational reality that really impacts how we, how we talk to each other, how we engage with believers, unbelievers, how we engage with ourselves. I'm not going to read all of Ephesians 2, but I will re- read verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So it's this beautiful thing that God continues to give faith. He gives faith at the beginning to bring us into union with Christ and life eternal. And He keeps giving us faith throughout the course of our lives. Our faith increases. And sometimes we need knowledge increase, knowledge correction. But sometimes we just need to believe what we already know is true and live it out and walk into the brightness of that reality. Even though we can't see with our eyes 
what the outcome will be. So what a, what a moment. These women rushing back. God honoring them by placing their names in the Bible. Not giving up on the disciples. Telling the disciples the whole story. And the disciples not believing. And mocking them. And it's a good starting point for future sermons. Because we're going to see the tide turn in the lives of these disciples. And we're going to see them throughout the book of Acts. Being used of God. These men who are hiding in corners. To upend the entire world. That's, that's really good news because it's true for us too and we want to be encouraged. So a couple of quick questions just to bring, bring things to a close today. How are you like these women? <clears throat> Where do you see in your life faith that leads you to be overflowing with the gospel? Loving others, bringing unity. Did you see how they unified when they went to the disciples? They could have divided Hoping, fearless, loving through their service. How, how are you like these women? Do you see the fruit of the gospel like this in your life? Faith like this in your life? I'm not asking if you see perfect faith. Do you see faith like this in your life at work? I hope you say yes. I hope you see yourself being like these women. Believing God's word. Overflowing with joy at the promises of God. Living a life that's seeking to demonstrate and share these truths with others. In a sense, if you will, overflowing naturally. You're not having to strive to make it happen. You sense God's spirit in you and through you in these ways. <clears throat> but on the other hand, how are you like the disciples? Hiding. Afraid. Divisive. Well... Dividing, at least. You know, they pulled themselves away. Unkind. Mocking. I mean, those mocking words, that, that pushes people away. Hopeless. Looking at the situation, refusing to believe any good can come from it. Hopeless. Self-deceived. Requiring others to join you in self-deceit. You know, we can be a mixture of faith and unbelief. Right? And so sanctification is where God comes. And over time, by His grace, we, we saints grow up and there's more and more faith and less and less unbelief. And more and more of beauty and love and service and Communion and fellowship and unity and evangelism and joy and less and less of all that is contrary. So is that what you want for your life? Do you want that for your life? Is that what you want to see happening in your life? You don't have to say anything or put your hand up, but just in your heart. Is that what you desire? Well, guess what? If you desire that, Praise God where you sit because that's not a desire that you can bring into your own heart. If you have a desire to be sanctified, whether it's a result of today's preaching or a result of the word that you've heard before or some combination of things, praise God for that desire in your soul. That's a good thing. Now, <clears throat> how do we grow up in faith? 
How do we grow up in faith? There's practical things that happen. And since the faith building for these women, and as we'll see for the disciples, is through suffering, through trials, I'm going to end the sermon by looking at Romans chapter 5, verses 3, 4, and 5, briefly to answer the question, how do we grow in faith? And I think maybe a better way of asking the question is, what is God's faith-building plan for you? And here's the answer. Not only that, so he's rejoicing in the gospel, rejoicing in salvation, rejoicing in that which has already been brought to them. But now look into the future. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So God builds our faith by bringing tribulations into our lives. And with eyes of faith, we can glory in these trials. Not just endure, not just survive, But we know there's more than that coming. It starts with that, but there's more coming. And when we know this, and he's brought us to this point in our lives as Christians, we can rejoice when trials come upon us. And it disarms the flesh. It disarms the devil. It disarms the world. Because that which they want to use to threaten us, we're like, thank you very much. Can I have another? Because we know They cannot win. We know their every effort to harm us is God our Father shaping us and blessing us. Ha ha! Bring it on, is what we should say. Not because like we're we're haughty and we believe in ourselves, but because we know who God is. We know He is our Father. Did He give us Christ, His only Son? Will He not also with Him give us all things freely? He's our Father in heaven. So he brings tribulations. And when these things come upon us, we first rejoice. Knowing. See, there's this knowing. We have to know what God does with tribulations. It produces perseverance. Let's think about that for a moment. What is perseverance? Or what's the opposite of perseverance? Giving up. Like disciples in a dark closet. Giving up. Whatever the situation is, whatever the pressure is, you just want to give up. I can't tell me how many times I just want to walk out of this pulpit and go get on a Harley Davidson and drive away from all of life's responsibilities. See how I've hurt my wife and hurt my children through my sin through the years and the regret that I have in my soul over my failures as a husband, as a father, as a pastor. I just want to leave. Spare you people any more of me. That's how I feel. But then, oh, wait a minute. No, no, no. (laughs) My sin, you know, your own sin can be your tribulation, right? (laughs) And so there's all forms of tribulation. And I say, no. No, I'm not going to give up on God sanctifying me. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to believe that he is the author and finisher of my faith. So you persevere. 
Even though you're not changing yet. Because, you know, there's not coming any change yet. So there's this phase of the thing where you just have to believe that change is going to come. And this is faith. Growing up. Growing up. I'm not going to leave this spot. I'm going to be the husband. I'm going to be the father. I'm going to be the pastor. Whatever your calling is, you're going to be that. And you're not leaving the post that God has given you. You stay. And what happens? The blows continue. The pain increases. Don't hear me saying that if you have more faith, you'll have less pain. It's the opposite. But every piece of pain leads to a comfort from God that is well, well worth it. What comes after perseverance? Here's the change. Character. We, we, we change. We change. We grow. We become new people. We become more like Christ. We see it in our own lives. The things that were attractive, ugly, sinful things are growing less attractive. And beautiful things grab our attention. And that's what we want more and more. And we notice it. And, and our, our spouse notices it. Or our children notice. Relationships begin to grow up and joy increases character. Christ-like character comes as we just stand. Trusting in God. Lord, I know you've brought this tribulation because you love me, because you're making me like Christ. Give me wisdom. Help me to stay put and to do your will in this tribulation. And let me tell you, something comes through at the end of this. And every one of you, you know what, we could just stop the sermon and every person would have a chance to stand up and testify. Not only to having experienced this, but how you are waiting for the end of this in your own life right now. But hope. Hope. Now there's hope though connected to love of God. See, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So here's what happens at the end of all of this. Your Father in heaven makes His love and affection for you very real. It is shed abroad in your hearts. This is a very internal, subjective experience that God Himself gives to you. And you say, okay, can I have another, please? Right? This is life. This is life. And every new taste of reality is really just a new and deeper taste of God himself poured out in our hearts. May God bless us to grow up and be more like these women, more like, more like these disciples became in, in time, and ultimately more like Christ himself. Amen. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we look to You. Though our feet are caught in the snares, we look to You. We look to Mount Zion. We look to the glory of our great Savior. We rejoice in Your kingdom, in Your promises, in Your power, in Your knowledge, in Your plan. And we rejoice in the faith and the hope and the love that you have already 
granted to us. And we acknowledge, Father, that we desire to be sanctified. We desire to be changed. We desire for unbelief to decrease and faith to increase so that Christ may increase and we may decrease. All for your glory, for our joy, for the expansion of your kingdom, for the destruction of your enemies, that every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is King of kings to the glory of God the Father.